0: morning, guys. Okay. Well, what a good morning, huh? It's beautiful outside and what have you. You just saw a little uh, one-minute clip about the Free Wheelchair Mission. This morning I got something that I'm just so excited about, and that is uh, we're going to ask Don Schoendorfer, the founder of Free Wheelchair Mission, to come up. But before he does, let me just tell you a little bit about Don. Uh, Don started going to church here about 20 years ago. Um, he's going to tell you a little bit about his education and so forth. But he is, has a Ph.D. at MIT in biomechanical engineering and so forth. So a pretty smart guy. Um, but he had this yearning that came upon his heart that we're going to hear about a bit. And um, 20 years later, we, the, the world has over 1 million of his wheelchairs out that has been given to him free of charge. And it's his quest to get it to two. Yeah, you can clap for that. And uh, it's his quest uh, and his teams that by 2025, they'll hit the second million. So let's give a hand to Don Schoendorf as he comes up. Don, I'm going to let you sit right here. I'm, I'm trying to not allow this to make noise. We'll Put that down there technology stuff I just don't I don't get it. Okay. So anyways, Don, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good, Everybody good. can hear me, okay? Good. Excellent. Um, you know, this is such an honor for me to to facilitate this and so forth because we've been friends for a long time. A long time. And I'm grateful for uh, our friendship and thank you for coming here today. So, anyways, we've seen the uh, the, the video, we know about a million shares so far, I think it's at uh, 1.1 million or something like that right now. But take us back, take us back from the beginning. Uh, give us a little feel for where you are and, and a little bit of your um, walk. Take us back to when you were in college and what your goals were and so forth. Sure, first I just feel humbled
1: to be able to speak to you this morning. It's, it's a privilege from my perspective. Secondly, I wanna say that if it wasn't for Mariner's Church, this wouldn't have happened. It was very clear. Um, I was, I think, born to be an engineer. My father was a machinist for the New York Central Railroad. My two older brothers are engineers. And I just decided I wanted to go to a school to become an engineer. And um, I found that MIT was the best in the world. Is, this, is it still working now? Are we OK? OK. Um, and so I decided I'm going to go there, and I couldn't go through the front door. I had to go through the back door, uh, through various colleges to get there, but, um, and I didn't, there was a thing that people used to sing and chant every now and then, it went something like this, MIT, PhD, M-O-N-E-Y, just, you know, the Mickey Mouse song. Uh, but the, the reason why I was there is because I really wanted to do something that I wanted to do by myself. I wanted to, I didn't. I just wanted to do something significantly by myself. And, but I get out of the, the, the school and I, I get jobs being sort of the engineer inventor in the back room and a number of companies, and I was happy inventing and doing new things. And uh, um, But I really wanted to become a billionaire. Why not, right? <laughs> um, and the reason why I wanted to become a billionaire is I'm, I'm very, I don't like asking people. Thank you. You want to be asked? I don't like asking people for help. I feel very uncomfortable asking people for help. So I figured if I could just make the money, I could just do what I wanted to do and I wouldn't need to ask anybody. Well, that wasn't happening. Um, but um, I was very content at being that engineer. 25 years I was doing that thing as an engineer.
0: Got it. So you were an engineer. You were, uh, I understand you uh, created something that we use to this day about blood separation, right? You made a couple uh, corporations some big money, I understand.
1: Yeah, I got really good at blood. Um, I I learned how to take it out of somebody. I learned how to separate it. I learned how to put some of it back and keep some of it. I learned how to store it. I learned how to transfuse it in the patients and Uh, It it was a very successful technology, which most of you, I hope, never find out about because you you only know about this when you go to a hospital. Uh, And that was really quite an experience. Then I got into sweat. I I learned all all there was about sweat, trying to use it as a diagnostic patch, uh, diagnostic fluid. Um, But it wasn't making that billion dollars.
0: So you were in business. You were... uh on your career path, uh, being rather successful, Wh- what happened? Where, how did we get from where you were there to where you are now? Well, th- three daughters, happily married to
1: Lori, uh, who passed away about two and a half years ago now. Uh, th- three lovely daughters. And uh, when the oldest one was 13, she came down in, with an eating disorder. And, and I tried all that I learned at MIT to solve this problem at MIT. Um, I mean, but it, they didn't teach me stuff like this. And my wife, same thing. We, were, we struggled with it for three years. We were both raised Christian, but we just never seemed to have the time to go to church. But we surrendered after three years of seeing our daughter going downhill. and said, God, you just have to take this burden from our shoulders. And we started coming back. The church, and in fact, there was Mariners Church uh, that we came back to. Um, And then things started to change in my life, in my wife's life, in our family's life.
0: Now, I understand Kitten had a a sermon that was um, something that you felt like he was speaking right to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I mean, do you you ever get the feeling uh, the pastor's looking right at you? (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, and this was a very short message. It was the beginning of a long message, but it was just a, a three or four line story about, it was called The Fool's Game. And then he went on to explain what is The Fool's Game. And the Fool's Game is somebody who has a list of things that is, is either given to him or he's contributed to of the things he really wants to get done in life. And then on the other hand, he's got a list of things he really wants to do that he thinks probably are gonna be more meaningful. But this list takes him down. He never gets to this list and he dies. And that's why he calls it the fool's game. And that was me staring right at me, burning a hole right between my eyes. That's what I was doing. I I was doing all this stuff to try to make this billion dollars and it wasn't working and I still had this other list.
0: Well, let's talk about that other list. Um, uh, obviously, we now know, seeing it from this vantage point, that wheelchairs came into play. But how originally were the wheelchairs placed on your heart? Well, I'd, I'd like to have you. I could make it
1: just like a, the next step was do wheelchairs, right? But I, I go back to 1979 when I was on a vacation with my wife to Morocco. Uh, and we didn't know what we were getting into. We did, had no idea of what life was in a developing country. My knowledge to that date and even much now is what I read in National Geographic. And uh, it's in an Islamic country and there was just a lot of stuff going on that we'd never seen before and I'll never forget. But one of the things that was probably the most powerful was in a, a Medina, which is an old part of a city where there's a dirt road, very narrow because it's just wide enough for wagons and donkeys and people to walk between people's legs crawls this woman, literally using her fingernails for traction, dragging the rest of her body. She's filthy. Her clothes are shredded. She's bleeding because this is a rough way of getting across the road, yes? And um, people are sort of stepping around her like she's something. don't, Don't step in that. It's basically don't step in whatever that thing is down there. And she's just looking at the ground, like, please don't, just let me alone, let me get across the road. And she did. And like, wow, what's that all about? But you know, we're not we're not in a place where we can do anything about this. So we don't even know how to speak Moroccan. So we had to turn our backs. And That was in 1979, and it wasn't until all this stuff started to happen to our daughter, and then back the Mariners. And I'm thinking, hmm, you, you remember when Eric was talking about sometimes God some, puts something in your life? It's a message. And he wants to react to it. I'm thinking, well, was this a message? Maybe I should look into this situation.
0: So you're now going to Mariners. Um, uh, the Lord has touched your heart with this memory of this woman that was back in Morocco in the, in the late 70s. Um and I understand in your spare time you started tinkering a little bit. Tell us about what you were doing.
1: Well, there's a, there's a process you learn when, you're, you know, MIT's good at doing it. And there's, I had the privilege of working with some really good inventor, engineers, founders, and stuff. And you, you, first of all, you'd find out what everybody else is doing to solve the problem. And then you figure out how big the problem is. Well, I find out that the problem could not be defined because people would say 20 million 130 million. We don't know how many people are like that woman in Morocco. That bothered me. Well, how can you not know? And how could there be a range so large as that? Okay, what are you doing about it? And most there were two two approaches. One was to fix up used wheelchairs because insurance replaces them. And the other approach was to buy conventional wheelchairs. Okay, I understand that's two approaches. It uh, maybe not the best, but Oh, how many have you given away? And I added up all the organizations around the world had given away, and they had given out 100,000 wheelchairs after 20 years of hard work. So just suppose it's 100 million, because it is a supposition. So 100,000, 100 million, that's 0.1%. So they have reached one point one percent, And so, you know, okay, see, the light goes on. Engineer, I, an engineer, I can do this. Uh, let's get the cost out. So obviously these people are poor. You, you can't worry. You can't be selling it to them. Least expensive chair in the world. I went to Tustin Marketplace. to get them at Home Depot. white resin chair. Least expensive bicycles in the uh, wheels in the world are bicycle wheels. So for uh, and you can you buy a bicycle back then for fifty dollars. You can kind of do the math. What it would have cost to make a wheel in China, which is where they all came from. It's $10, I got two wheels and a, and a chair. We'll, we'll can connect them and
0: make a wheelchair out of it. Chair with wheels. So you started tinkering in your garage, trying to take these bicycle wheels um, and this plastic resin chair and uh, a little bit of EMT conduit and things of that nature. Right. And how long did you tinker at that till you came up with the first prototype?
1: Well, it took me, you know, because I had a day job, right? So it took maybe nine months. There's some subtleties about a wheelchair, which most of them I didn't know at the time either. Um, So I had a prototype. So I I got up enough nerve to call the mission outreach pastor at Mariner's Church, Skip Landfried, and I made an appointment to come on a Thursday. I, I couldn't believe how crowded the parking lot was on a Thursday at a church. I said, what's going on? I thought these guys just worked on Sundays. That's what I knew <laughs> well I, he loved it because he just got back from a Democratic Republic of the Congo, and he saw people crawling two days ago I said well that 's interesting, and then he wanted to take it out to the parking lot to try it, and i 'm thinking the wheels are going to fall off i 'm going to hurt this man, and that 's going to be the end of it but he you know he he got in the chair and he wheeled it around, and you know it didn 't look at all like this, but it was a chair with wheels and as we, he was doing this, two women walked by. who had also just come by, f- back from a mission trip. And they said, wouldn't that be a nice thing to give out to people in developing countries?
0: Ah, this is all lining up, so. So then you went back to your garage, and you said, well, I might make more than just one of these prototypes. How many did you end up making?
1: Well, what, what I did as a cr- to make money as a career is I did clinical trials for companies to get new products through the FDA. So I knew how to prove something with human subjects. But there are really expensive clinical trials, and I had to pay for this myself. So I made 100 prototypes, thinking that I would do a mini clinical trial. I would get data, I would would give them out someplace, didn't know how, where, and I would come back a year later and see if the wheels are still on, and I'd write some technical paper, put it in a journal, and let you guys take care of it from there, right? So how did that
0: work for you? What happened next? (laughs)
1: Well, I showed up at the first mission uh, uh, opportunity to get to go on a medical mission. Um, in Mariners had in a bulletin, and I, am there with doctors and nurses and all kinds of specialties. And here I am, an engineer who can't practice medicine. And I want to, I don't want to bring a suitcase full of, uh, of vitamins and antibiotics and sutures. I want to bring hundred wheelchairs with me. Uh, so they're just thinking maybe this guy's going to go away.
0: So how many chairs did you ultimately take, and where'd you go?
1: Well, I I couldn't figure out, I couldn't convince anybody to accept 100 wheelchairs, because I just didn't have the connections uh, and and how to ship them or anything else. We wound up taking four on a plane with us to Chennai, India. And it cost $125 for each wheelchair, because they insisted to put it in a box, because they didn't think it was going to stand up to the treatment in the luggage. Listen, I designed this to stand up. No, no, we're going to charge you $125 for the box.
0: So, you take these four wheelchairs, you're on a missions trip with Mariners, you go to Chennai, India, and uh, how are they received? Well, I don't know if you've been on mission trips,
1: the people you visit, they never get the job done. They're very busy, and they never get it done. And here comes this guy comes with this idea. It's the wheelchair didn't quite look like a wheelchair, it looked like a resin chair with bicycle wheels. And they didn't want a new project. In India, you can't walk 100 feet in the city without seeing somebody with a disability. I mean, it's that prevalent. But they just weren't enthusiastic for a whole lot of reasons. And the questions they would ask, people would ask questions to try to politely talk me out of it. Like, well, if this were to succeed, who would pay for it? Who would ship it? Who would give it out? Where would they be made? Where would the money come from? And I'd just say, stop it, please. I just want to write a paper. That's it. I just want to prove a point that it's a useful thing.
0: So you gave those four wheelchairs out. Um, how were they received, and what happened then? Well, the, the first
1: one, well, we were on a, I was a volunteer because I couldn't practice medicine. So I helped set up card tables. We went out on a cardboard table, I mean, a card table clinic. So I set up the tables, moved the boxes, got it all ready for the doctors from US, which were, came with me, and doctors from India were there, and they put signs on the on the on the fences and various places in this little city, a suburb of Chennai. Come for a free clinic. And and they explained to me that a lot of these people had never been to a clinic and never seen a doctor, so they they'll come. And sure enough, so we get it all set up, and uh, I'm in the back because you know, obviously I wasn't going to be a, a player in this medical side of things. But I brought a wheelchair on the bus with me, and I see people coming down the road. They're, they're stopping, they're carrying something, and as they get closer, they're carrying another person, and that person is squirming and very uncomfortable, and finally they get up to me and they're carrying a boy. And he had what I later found out was cerebral palsy, and the reason why he was squirming because he had uh, uncontrollable f- uh, flexures of his arms and legs and grinding his teeth and drooling and couldn't control his head, and it's 100 degrees, with 100% humidity, and his, Parents are sweating, and it's very hot. So, and they have to wait for a little while before they can see the doctor. So I get the chair that I had out of the bus and bring it over and put it in front of them. Well, no, I didn't need a translator because I was a volunteer laborer, essentially. And so uh, I just smiled. I didn't have any way to talk to them. All the doctors are off a, a bit away. And um, what's going to happen? And I thought the man would sit in the chair because that's what people told me. It's a man's world in a developing country, and he's gonna get, if there's one chair, the man's going to get it. But the mom put the child, the son, in the chair. And he started to calm down, largely because he wasn't being carried by a sweaty body, and we were in the shade. And the next thing I know, he's, she's rocking him back and forth in the chair, and then she starts to do figure eights. And then there's a curb. And I'm thinking, this is going to be it. She's going to go over the curb one wheel at a time. She's going to roll over. They're going to put Band-Aids over this boy, and I'm going to early flight home. (laughs) But she probably had a lot of experience with wheelbarrows because that's what they did for a living. They worked in a rice paddy harvesting rice. So she lined it up perfectly and went over perfectly and then came up on, on the way back perfectly. And so all my peers saw this happening, run down, What's going on? And they see this, there was not a word said, and it's working. Wait a minute. They're trying to get out of this problem now, too. I've challenged them. So they say, well, what if it's too wide to fit through the door? They'll have to leave it outside. Somebody will steal it. It'll be a bad idea. Okay. So they wanted the family to wait uh, until the end of the clinic, and that's how we learned that they, they, they carried their son three miles to come and see us. Well, the other thing is they didn't take into account that I'm an engineer. I think about doors and widths, and you know, it's not like this was going to be a big challenge for me. But OK, whatever you guys come up with. Sure enough, we get to the little village. There's about 30 homes made out of cinder block and corrugated metal and wire. And, and this was Sunday afternoon, so it was a day off. So they weren't working. And um, it goes right, through th- right into the home. Dirt floor, they have a little place where they can start a fire because in the range they still got to cook food. They had a hammock, and they had two sets of clothing, one to, wire, one to wear and one to wash. That was their totally, total earthly possessions because one of them had to stay home and take care of the child. They both couldn't work. So, um, wow, this is working. It looks like this is cool. It's going to get into the house. And, well, the neighbors start to come. They want to see this commotion, this big white bus and all these white guys there and... And um, I'm just enjoying the whole thing, trying to take some notes on my clipboard because this is the f- first N, w- N of one. This is the first wheelchair. And then the, uh, the, 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 mo- the, the our guide, his name was Moses. He spoke English. <laughs> Moses. No, I'm not, I'm not even this up. going there. <laughs> and uh, Moses comes to me and tugs on my sh- on my sleeve and said, Don, we got to get out of here. I said, why? This is great. Don't, aren't you, can't we just watch and see what's going to happen next? He goes, yeah, well, what happened next was the elder just walked in the door. And I made a big mistake, says Moses. I didn't go and clear it with him before we came here. The, the elder's like the mayor, and he wants to know what's going on. And suddenly there's all these people down at this house, and he doesn't know about it. He's mad because we didn't follow his tradition. And he looked mad to me, too. So I said, okay, Moses, you got me, I'm convinced, we better get out of here, but I did my job, I want you to do yours. And Moses stands back, So, what do you mean, what's my job? He said, well, I brought the wheelchair, I noticed you have a Bible in your pocket, tell this group that's gathered around us why we're doing this. So Moses clears his throat, opens his Bible, and looks around for some pages, and then he starts to read in Tamil, which is their language. And to me, this wasn't anything unusual because when somebody stops to read a Bible, you listen, right? But he said after this, on the way home, I've never been able to speak to a Hindu village and read the Bible before without them mocking me. Or they'll just walk away because they know what I'm doing, and they don't want to hear it. But they were seeking an explanation as to why this wheelchair was being given to this boy, and so they listened.
0: Wow, what a moving moment that must have been! So you had three more. I, I know you have other stories that are equally as riveting for those other three. You come back, and um, you now realize that the Lord has put on your heart to get more of these out. So, so how'd you go about it?
1: Well, no, I'm, I wasn't quite there yet. I'm, I, see, I would call this a bunch of coincidences, right? Because <laughs> I'm still the engineer that has you know, like 25 years invested in a in a career. And uh, I wanted to get back to work. Uh, so I went into the place I was working at before I left, and there's hardly anybody in the parking lot. And I go in, and they said, oh, well, we went bankrupt. <laughs> really? That's another
0: coincidence, right? <laughs> so they went bankrupt. You were out of a job. Uh, you had this new calling. Um, did you start discerning that maybe the Lord was trying to tell you something?
1: Well, and then you know what happened is the other great part. This is how Mariners fits in in a big way because the, the rumors spread about this first story and other stories that are almost as powerful, and people wanted to help me, so they'd contact me and they'd call and they said, "Well, how can we help you?" I said, "Well, can you help me get a job?" <laughs> That's not what they meant. <laughs> I said, well, um, how about if we just send you some money so we can make some more wheelchairs? I said, I got 96 still in the garage. I don't need any more. <laughs> but they would anyway. They'd send me money. I'd come out and open the mailbox, and there's a check. And, um, you know, Don, you're thinking about these as coincidences. They're really not coincidences. Don't you understand how God is behind this whole thing? Aren't these things just happening, and you can't explain how? You know, it took a while because I did have a thick skull. And um, I I finally had to come and talk to God about this. And I told God, you know, it wasn't like I was making a deal. It was more making an admission. I know how to to do a clinical trial. I know how to get this paper done. I know how to write this paper, and I'm going to move on. If you want me to do more, how about if I work for you? Can you do that? Can I do that? Can I just listen to you, God? Can I surrender this whole thing and report to you on this? What do you think he said? In a way, you know, it wasn't like a loud yes from a high, but uh, things continued to happen that were just a miracle, like how it happened. Like I found a manufacturer of a chair, not this one, but the one I described. It took a week to find a manufacturer in China. Usually people spend two years doing that. I mean, these are just things that God was lining up. Uh, but one of the biggest things he lined up was some leaders from Mariners Church who said, You got to start a board. You got to start a nonprofit. And we will help you do that.
0: Keep going. The story's good.
1: So, you know, I, there's nothing to really help me a lot. There's this, you know the dummy series? Microsoft for dummies, Excel for dummies. There's actually a nonprofit for dummies. So it's right next to my Bible. It told you how to start the nonprofit, told you how to do a board meeting, told you how to you know, set up all that stuff, bylaws, everything, and, and we, we had our first, um, somebody asked me if we had a strategic plan, and I said, well, what do you want to know? I had, I had no plan at all, of course, and I said, well, how about if we can help you come through a plan? So we met probably not more than 100 feet from here, put together the strategic plan, took about uh, a whole summer, work it out and um, started to bring on people who were much smarter than me doing things that I never dreamt were necessary like how do you raise money how do you ship uh, wheelchairs you know how do you do quality control how do you report to IRS all this stuff just people just started to come around and you know we couldn't pay anybody th- for this it was all volunteer for the first few years and God just started, uh, so the first year we gave away those 100 wheelchairs, and the next year we gave away 20,000 because it was a quick jump. Uh, we had a manufacturer. We had people wanting them. It's easy, right?
0: Yeah, it's amazing. So, Don, you have the wheelchairs um, now made in China. Uh, they then get shipped directly from China to your distribution partner in one of these 93 countries. Share with us now, 20 years later, what is Free Wheelchair Mission now, and how does it look, and and how do you accomplish getting these what 100,000 chairs a year out?
1: Well, in the beginning, again, uh, not knowing anything about disability, what the family has to deal with, I was going by the initial smiles, and everybody would smile when you gave them a wheelchair. Uh, but I was, uh, over the time, I actually got a lot of help from people who knew the, the, the physiology behind the wheelchair and what had to be done, and so we developed different chairs. This is the third model. A lot of adjustability in it, footrest, backrest, length of the seat, the width, and everything else because we, we know they have to be comfortable. They'll smile when you give them a wheelchair, but they may not use it when they get home because it may not be comfortable to sit in. And then they might use it just as a transport chair to, you know, maybe they have to go to a hospital or a bathroom or something. But if you can make it comfortable for them, they'll use it more. And so over the years, we learned how to do that. Um, we also realized you had to train people how to use wheelchairs. Just because that woman, that first woman in Chennai, knew how to go over the curb. Didn't mean everybody knew that. So you know, how do you turn? How do you go down a ramp, up a ramp? How do you transfer from the wheelchair to a bed or whatever? There's, there's tricks. If you don't do it right, you can get hurt. Be living in a wheelchair can be dangerous if you're not well trained. So we've, we've developed quite a lot of training uh, procedures, training teams. Medical people work for us. We send out teams at least once a month to different countries. Uh, we audit the partners to make sure they're doing it right. Um, it's difficult just to unload fift- 550 wheelchairs from a container. I mean, you have to have a plan.
0: So typically you have 550 in a container. A container is shipped to a distribution partner, which may be a ministry or an indigenous uh, Christian organization, or in some cases even a secular organization. And then they're responsible to find the recipient, the, the end user, free wheelchair mission. So number one issue is to just Raise the funds and get them the chairs in the quantity of 550 apiece. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we want them in the beginning. We just said, just give them away. We, we didn't. There wasn't any screening, selection, or anything else. And there's many patients who need a much more elaborate chair than this one could provide. But we've done a lot of that training, so they have that all that responsibility that Jim mentioned about giving them out. Uh, but they have one more very important responsibility, and we insist on this happening in countries where it's allowed, and that is to tell the recipient where the chair really came from. This is news um, to them, because they think it probably came from the partner who's giving it to them, right? Or they may think it came from some other country, maybe even the United States. And you know, those things are true too, because we did put up the means to buy these chairs and have them made. But it is our belief that it's a gift from God. And why is that so important for them to hear? Well, it's because a disability in a developing country is a manifestation of a curse. That's what they believe. That's what they hear from their neighbors, from family. The society uh, teaches them that they're worthless. They're not going to do anything. They're cursed. And you know what you do with a curse, you just sort of live through it. Um, it could be a grandfather that did something wrong. It could be a husband. It could be whatever it is. It's a curse. It breaks that, that, that knowledge breaks up families. A, a, a husband will say, well, there's no disability in my family, so you must have had an affair. So was, goodbye, family. Goodbye, wife. You're on your own now. Totally justified. And so we want people who get a wheelchair to know this is a gift from God. We all know how God loves us. They've never heard this before. We've got to tell him. God, Everything God made is perfect. He made you. You're perfect in his eyes. Yeah, you can't walk or you, whatever, but that, God doesn't see that. God loves you just the way you are. And we want you to feel like you're in God's hands when you're in this wheelchair. We want you to feel his love. Now, that's a pretty intense message, right? Because first of all, you're getting a wheelchair and you can't explain it. And secondly, you're getting this message that totally turns upside down your feeling about religion and self-worth and your position in society. Well, okay, now we have to rely on our partners to fill in the blanks. Because you can't just jump from there to being a devout Christian, probably. You're going to have to know more about the whole thing. And that's tough, because some of our partners give away 50 of these a day, and they can't actually go back and minister to these people. But some of them do. Some of them really... Well, we're gonna, we're gonna make you get the church. We're gonna help you get the church. We're gonna make it so that the front row will take wheelchairs. We're gonna build a ramp. This is something we believe, and so we're using this as an evangelistic tool. And we don't personally do it; we insist that our partners
0: do it. So there's a hundred million approximately, who could use a wheelchair. You've gotten a little bit more than a million out. You're trying to get to two million. What is precluding you? Is it infrastructure? Is it money? What's precluding you from just getting a million out this year instead of 100,000?
1: Well, it used to be two things that were always, one was always the, the bottleneck. It was either the funding or wher- where could we ship the wheelchairs? Because we needed our partners to be trained. They only had a certain amount of capacity. We were, we didn't know quite how to en- enlist new partners. Well, that problem's gone now or we can we can we could double we can give that second million away by 2025 we know how to do it it's the funding
0: so these chairs approximately eighty dollars a piece you're able to get a wheelchair exactly
1: out. eighty dollars not
0: approximately exactly exactly eighty bucks so like uh eight thousand bucks could get a hundred of them out sixteen thousand could be two hundred out it's, it's just math isn't it right yes so, well uh we didn't intend this to be focused on a on a fundraiser whatsoever, but there is things on your guys's desk, I mean on the table there that, if you so feel inclined, you can fill out. Uh, you might only have twenty bucks, but I got to tell you that buys one fourth of a wheelchair. You might only have ten dollars, that's one eighth of a wheelchair. But if you put eighty or one hundred and sixty, you're ch- you have, um, you're playing a part of changing someone's life forever, and give them an opportunity in in so many cases to hear about our Lord as well. Well, Don, I just wanna thank you so much, dear friend.